excited because today we start our summer series, and uh, I love, 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 love our summer series because of what they do in me. Um, so uh, I didn't grow up in the hood. Uh, sorry, I just can change subjects. I didn't grow up in the hood, but I grew up about three streets from it. You know, it's about three blocks over. Anybody grow up in the hood? I grew up in the hood. I didn't grow up in the hood, but I, I grew up about three blocks over. And so in my neighborhood in, in Memphis, it was the culture of the hood that, um, you know, everybody played basketball. So nobody ever asked, like I can remember, nobody ever asked, you know, do you play basketball? Like you're out, you know, riding your bike in the hood, and they would just say, are you good? You know, of course you play, everybody plays. Are you good? And so I spent a lot of time uh, in my younger years, in the summer especially, at the local public high school at the playground behind. It's a pretty rough area. And uh, I, I, you know, I played ball in the hood and, and uh, uh, oftentimes was a minority in that, um, in that situation. And so you can imagine uh, the fun, you know, that we would have there. Look, you hadn't lived until you're in the hood and you get into a, like a um, uh, your mama joke throwdown. I'm just going to tell you, you hadn't experienced life until you get in one of those moments right there. Uh, but but I, I'd never really had a minority experience before. Uh, that was the closest thing I'd ever had. And then when I was uh, just graduated high school, I started working at the hospital downtown. And there were 400 people in my department, and four of them were white. And the rest were all, all black. Everybody in the department was black. So it was the first minority experience I'd ever had in my life. And so if you've been on a mission strip, you really haven't had a minority experience because you are a welcomed guest. You're not really, in a sense, an equal. You're an honored guest. But it, So it's the first minority experience I'd ever had in my life because most of the people I'd hung around were white. Most of the people lived up and down my street, and the streets over you know, were all white. And so I worked at this hospital, and I had a minority experience, and, and, it, and it caused me to think things I'd never thought before. So, like, for example, this. What does it mean to be white? I'd never asked that question before because most of the people I were around were white, and I got my identity from my surroundings. And until my surroundings changed, I never, I never thought to ask that question. Um, I asked a question, another question, will I be rejected because of my color? I'd never had that question before. Or uh, how do I relate? You know, am I going to be accepted? How, how do I relate? Do, do, I, do I know the conversation well enough to, to be involved here? And when, when you've been a majority your whole life, and then suddenly you're a minority, it changes your perspective and you have to rethink how you do everything. Now, this is a great conversation for white people to have because all the trends tell us in 25 to 30 years, white people will not be the majority in America anymore. This is an even greater conversation for Christians to have because Christians are not in the majority in America anymore. And every study that's been done in the last 20 years tells us that Christians aren't going to be in the majority again anytime soon. Matter of fact, if you've ever heard of Generation Z, and maybe you have, maybe you haven't, it's 18 years old and younger. Generation Z. So if you have a kid in school or going into school, they are Generation Z. And this is the first generation 
in American history that is fully post-Christian. We've never had, we've had, you know, all these other issues, but we've never had a generation in America before that has no corporate memory of a Christian nation. And this is the first time we've ever seen this. So we know that where we're headed in American life is a post-Christian reality, and we're already there in many ways. So I want to read to you. So a lot of people are having this conversation, and they're picking up on it. The president of Fuller Theological Seminary, which you may have never heard of, but it's a, it's a, a really well-known and well-established seminary. Here's what the president said in 2013. Going forward, the purpose of Fuller Theological Seminary is to prepare leaders for a post-exile world, much like the Jews who were exiled in Babylon. Our world will not be neutral towards Christians. Increasingly, it will become hostile towards it, as clearly indicated by every trend. We will be rethinking and overhauling every program. So what they're saying is, we've got to... So they prepare pastors and ministers and missionaries and all of that. And they say, because of what's going on in the culture, we've got to rethink how we train everybody. Because the world has changed. And how we engage it's going to have to change. David Kinneman, who's the president of the Barner Group, maybe you never heard of them, they do all the Christian statistics and polls and surveys in America. Or not, not all of them. They're the, probably the leader in those. Here's what he said in 2014. Our world's becoming very much like Babylon as Christians. Our task will be to engage the world while not becoming part of it. Now, I say all of this to say this perfectly summarizes the message of 1 Peter. How do we live an authentic Christian life in a post-Christian world? Because that's where we are. The greatest question facing Christians today is in light of our times, how do we live? Now before we jump into the book, let me give you two backstory thoughts to this series and to this book. Here's the first one. For about the last five years, uh, we've been doing a book study at Kingwood in the summer, and we've gotten better feedback. Well, I'll just tell you this. Two years ago, we did a survey and asked, what was your favorite sermon series of the year? And the book study was the favorite sermon series of the whole year, except for one, and it was on sex, and I don't even think that counts. All right? So just so you'll know. And it was barely higher. So it's encouraging to know where our minds and hearts are in our church. Now, I just want to give you some of the book studies that we've done so you can kind of see where we've been. Uh, uh, look at the screen uh, a few years ago, we did a study on the book of Philippians, Finding Joy. Any of you remember that? It's probably five years ago. If you remember it, you're awesome. I had to look it up. Uh, Deep Faith was on the book of Habakkuk. Super good series. Love Is, remember the Funkadelic kind of thing? We did 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I Am was the study in the book of Ephesians that we did, I think, uh, maybe two or three years ago. All In, how many remember All In? That's where we got the good feedback. Book of James, and then last summer... We did a study in Nehemiah called When the Walls Are Gone. Great, great study. So this summer we're studying the book of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Encourage you, jump in, read it, get as deep as you can get in it. Really, really rich books. And probably you've never heard a sermon series out of these books, and there's a reason for it, because they're kind of hard to read. But I want to encourage you to jump in, sink your teeth in it. You're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, we're calling this series Always, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Let me give you the backstory of the book, then we'll jump in. Uh, most people agree the book was written by Peter, the apostle of Jesus. He was a fisherman. 
before he was a, a follower of Christ. Jesus found him, called him to faith in Jesus, and then called him into ministry. And he was one of tw Jesus' 12 closest followers. Jesus personally mentored him. He was one of the main leaders after Jesus' death. Uh, the apostle Peter's leadership had such a profound impact on the church that Catholics consider uh, Peter's ministry to be the foundation of the Roman Catholic Church. And so it was a huge influence he had. When Peter died, he, uh, most of the other 12 apostles had already been martyred before he died. Church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because when he learned he was going to be crucified, he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. So he said, if you're going to crucify me, turn me upside down. I don't deserve to be in the same company as Christ. Uh, three or four years before the Apostle Peter was martyred, uh, it's likely that he wrote this book. Now, let's, so it's, it's near the end of his life. Uh, now, now let's look for a minute where the book, it, it, let's call it a letter. You'll see why. It's a letter he wrote to a series of churches in Asia Minor. You can see on the map, um, this is the part of the world that the Apostle Peter wrote the letter to. It's hard to see, but where it says Asia Minor, that's kind of highlighted through two-thirds of Turkey, modern Turkey. There were, there were churches scattered throughout that region, and his letter was circulated among those churches. Um, now, this is an area a little smaller than the nation of, Cal I mean, the state of California, and so it's a really wide area. But think about this area like the Wild West. It was being settled by people from all over the world, or all over the known world. It was a melting pot of languages and cultures and, and economies. It was filled mostly, mostly with small towns that were far apart. A hundred years after this letter was written, those churches, although they were very small and isolated, those churches had rose up, and in all five provinces of that region, there were strong and thriving churches a hundred years later. And so this letter that Peter wrote had a great impact. Now, Peter wrote the letter to encourage the churches uh, to not allow cultural pressure and persecution to define them. So look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll, we'll begin to pick up on how this flowed. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Now, I just want to stop there because through this book, if you've heard these phrases in the Bible, it's this book that we generally pick them up from. Exiles, aliens, strangers, scattered. So what he's saying to them is, hey, first off, you're having a minority experience. Most of the people who live in your town are not your culture. They're not your race. They may not even speak your language. You're having an earthly minority experience. However, you're also having a heavenly minority experience because most of the people who live around you aren't on the same page as you spiritually. Hello, that's where America is. You're in a post, we're in a post-Christian, they're in a pre-Christian place because Christianity hadn't even gotten there. That's why I was so excited when I heard about this mission work in China because I know what happens when you start planting seeds. Churches form and the gospel spreads and people come to know Christ. And so this is what, this is kind of the early stages of that. Now, um, the question is, if you're a minority by culture and you're a minority by, by spirituality and the people around you aren't accepting you and they're starting to persecute you, 
What do you do? What do you do? That's a very relevant question for us Americans because as every trend shows, our culture will become increasingly more hostile to Christianity. So what do we do? Well, here's the key verse. I'll kind of go ahead and tell you the punchline, and then we'll unpack it a little more. 1 Peter 5, 12. We'll get to that chapter in a few weeks. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. This is the truth. This is God's grace. Stand fast in it. So we're calling this series Always. Stay faithful. Stay in it. Don't retreat from the culture. Don't become part of the culture. But always remain. This is the true grace of God. So always remain. Whether you're at home or at work, alone, in public, whether you're suffering, whether you're facing resistance, stay faithful in the grace of God. Remain in the grace of God. Be present. So today we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. And so what I want to summarize this area, uh, this part of Scripture is just to say this. Always be different. Now, let me, let me, let me give me a time out. When I say always be different, let me tell you what I don't mean. So I was at the grocery store one day, and this guy uh, came walking up to me. He goes, hey, you're the pastor at Kingwood, right? And I said, you know, I was almost like, who wants to know? (laughs) Yeah, you know, what does that mean? Did something happen? And he goes, well, I just got to tell you something. Because, I mean, us Christians have to bind together on this because there's this conspiracy going on in the world, and we've got to stop it right now. I said, what is it? And he said, the world is flat, and we've been told all our life it's round. And I thought, okay, bro, I'm just trying to get my groceries, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to change the world, or, like, I'm trying to eat, you know what I mean? I'm getting food. I don't know how we're going to fix that on all five, I got to be honest with you. He said, but I'm telling you, they have lied to us and lied to us and lied to us. And, it's a, and I said, wait, time out. You know we've been to the moon, and we've got pictures of the earth from the moon. It's round. And he said, oh, no, those were faked. In 1968? I'm not sure we had the technology. I mean, Toy Story hadn't even come out yet. I'm not sure we had the ability to do that. And he said, oh, no, it was fake. There was in a Hollywood, and there was this scene, and they faked and videoed a man on the moon. And finally, I just went, man, I got to go. Like I, like, I don't, like, I don't know how we're going to fix this right here. So what I'm saying is, that's not the kind of different we're looking for. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying... We got to be different from the world, but I, that's a different category. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that people have done some really weird things in Jesus' name, and unfortunately, the spirit filled community is usually leading the way. But that's not what I'm talking about. We have to be different in terms of adopting the culture, we've got to challenge the assumptions around us. The greed, materialism, busyness, sexuality, violence, gossip, conflict, spirituality, compassion, education. We've got to challenge the assumptions that our culture keep forcing onto us. 
Now, we already see how the letter begins written to those who are scattered all over Asia. So verse 3 to verse 12, he unpacks the joy of salvation. What is, what is salvation and, and what is the joy of salvation even in difficult times? So that's 3 through 12. And then you go to the rest of the chapter through uh, chapter 2, verse 8, and he talks about how do Christians live this salvation. So just to summarize, he says, here's what it is and here's how to live it. Now, what I want to zero in on this morning and spend the rest of our time is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, which is when he tells us why. Here's what it is. Here's how to live it. But here is why. 2 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation... God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Can you imagine he's saying these things to people who are having a, a earthly and a heavenly minority experience? And he's saying, whatever people tell you you are, that's not what you are. Whatever the people from all these religions of the world and all these crazy thoughts of the world, whatever they tell you you are, that is not what you are. You are, and he lists these things, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how, why, what, how, and then why? Why are we to be always different or faithfully different or faithfully present, engaging in the world? Why? Number one, two points today. Because we have a different community. Now that may sound like, well, what does that matter? You mean we're part of a different club? What does that mean? Well, if you look in this verse when he says, but you are a chosen people... The you is plural. It's not singular. So, so this morning, let me give you an example. Adam, can I borrow you for a minute? Come here. I don't have to hold your hand. You're a big guy. Come here. Okay. So, so here's Adam. Just stand right here. When this verse was written, it was not written to Adam. It was not written to Adam like this. I can't look at Adam and say, you are a royal priesthood. Why? Because you're by yourself. you got to get this, because if you don't get this, you'll misinterpret all of 1 Peter, all of 2 Peter, and all of Jude. It's written through this lens. He didn't say, you, Adam, are the people of God. Now, you can go back and sit down for a minute. But look what happens when I put him inside the body of Christ and the family of Jesus. Now you are the people of God. Right here, you're not the people of God because you're by yourself. You are not a royal priesthood. You are not a holy nation. You are not a chosen people by yourself. But when you are with the people of God, you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. Everything that the royal priesthood has to offer is not yours by yourself. It is only available to you inside the community of faith. You cannot live your full authority as a Christian 
by yourself. Now, where do we have all this? Well, in our culture, this is a very relevant conversation because our culture and oftentimes cultural Christians have such a low opinion of the church, of the community of faith. We live in, in times of where we're drowning in criticism. I, I don't mean at the church, yes at the church, at everything. Criticism, we are in a toxic culture of criticism. Turn the news on, turn talk radio on, skim Facebook, go to social media. It's, we are drowning in a culture of criticism. And if we're not careful, we will cut the limb off that is holding us up. And so that's what's happened, I think, here in the church, is, is we can't understand our identity. We can't understand our why if we keep trying to define it in isolation. You don't have a why by yourself. You have a why if you're together. So, okay, so every now and then somebody, somebody will ask me a question, hey, I give part of my tithe uh, to the United Way. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. No, you can't give part of your tithe to the United Way. Why? Because, you, because it's part of my charitable giving. Well, do you want God to define your giving or do you want the government to define your giving? Let's just check the government's track record and see how that worked out. Not so hot. No, because you are defined by the community of faith, not by IRS regulations and rules and laws, and not by government. That's where you get your why from. I, I was uh, reminded of a trip that we did a few years ago, one of our missions teams we sent to Indonesia. And uh, some of you were on that team, and there was a church that we were going to build in a certain location. It's a long story, but as it turns out, there was some, some political unrest that caused us to be unable to construct that church in that place at that time. And it was a smaller church, as most churches in Indonesia are. And our team went for a lunch break and gathered with the local church members in, in a room. And I wish I could have been there, but everybody who went described this moment for me that is unbelievable. Those people sat in that room, and at lunch, rather than eating, they sat on the floor and they cried. And they cried, and they cried. And I was so proud of our team, because rather than trying to fix it, because there didn't seem to be any way to fix it, our team sat with them, wrapped their arms around them, and cried with them. Scripture says, weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. And they were with them in that moment and just prayed for them and tried to encourage them and lift them up because of the political owners of that church. And here's why that people in Indonesia were so heartbroken. Because they actually believe that that church is the only hope for their community. They believe it's the only hope. So when it couldn't go forward, it locked their spirit down in a moment of such grief and disappointment. They didn't know how to process it out. And I thought, boy, you know, what a difference. In Indonesia, they're crying puddles because they've sacrificed all they have to give and the church can't go forward anymore. And I think, boy, you know, what a difference that we deal with in the West. You know, look, we're trying to talk people into not spending their tithe money on their vacation. It's a completely different conversation because we don't understand our why. But look, the number of Christians in America who are living their faith out without the church is growing. 
So this is a relevant conversation. Ephesians 3.10 says, His intent was that now, what does that phrase say? Those words, those three words. Through the church. It was his intent. Who's God's intent? Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So here's the, here's the takeaway. One day, this church is going to be so full of God's glory because God has chosen to reveal his wisdom through it. Should we not value it? Should we not say the only hope for Shelby County is this church and churches like it? Should we not be able to say that? Why should we be faithfully different? Because we have a different community. Here's the second one. And because we have a different identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people. There's no way I can unpack all that. And I'm not even pretending that these, this phrase summarizes all of chapter 1 in this part of 2. But it gives us a good look at the why. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So, so let's zero in on that for a minute. Here's why you have to be faithfully different, always different. Because you have a different community and you have a different identity. And that gives you all the why that you need. So we've grown up in a culture where we don't have any royalty. You know, we don't have kings or queens or, you know, princes and, and all of that. But we are familiar enough with British culture that it will, will at least understand how English royalty works. So I wanted to look up how do you become a monarch? How do you become a royal monarch? So here's the requirements. You cannot be Catholic. You must belong to the Church of England. You cannot be an illegitimate child of the king. Spouses don't count. And by the way, you must be male unless the only option left is there's a direct descendant that's a female. Now that changed in 2013, but for centuries that was the rule. And so that's why you had a few queens, but most of the monarchs were not queens because it was an exception. Now in America, we don't really have royalty in the same way, but we do have very exclusive circles. So, so I looked up one probably you never heard of, the Bohemian Club in San Francisco. Only some U.S. presidents are offered membership. Mark Twain and Clint Eastwood have been members. Sign-up fee, $30,000, $600 a month, and it's by invitation only. So look, or, or maybe another uh, example would be President of the United States. Okay, so we, we could not envision ourselves being elevated to a position of the monarch of England or a member of the Bohemian Club, if he'd even want to be there, or President of the United States. But this is exactly the type of move that Jesus made and that Peter is telling us about when he says you are a royal priesthood. But this Jesus has invited us to not only become part of God's family, he's given us the highest position in the kingdom. We have the highest position. We are royalty. We are sons and daughters of God. We are always different because we have a different identity. So here's how I want to summarize this this morning. If you want to write this down, whose who's you are determines who you are. Whose you are determines who you are. So whose are you? Are you the American dream? Are you the sports and entertainment culture? Do you belong to what's in it for me? 
Do you belong to the I've been wounded and I'm never going to be healed club? Whose are you? Because that determines who you are. Now the Bible tells us you're royalty. You have the highest position in the highest kingdom. Therefore you must live up to that identity. Now the only requirement to get in. You don't have to have $30,000. You don't have to be a direct descendant of somebody that, with a British accent. None of that. All you have to do to get in is to receive forgiveness from Jesus for your sin and believe that he died for you. That's it. There's nothing else. And then you're in. Now he tacks on one other word, and we'll wrap up here. You are a royal priesthood. To a Jew, to be a priest was the highest privilege imaginable because you got to go places in the temple that nobody else got to go. You got to go to the deepest part, the holiest part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, and you had direct access to God. You had direct access to God. You could talk to God there. And when this verse says you are a royal priesthood, you are a son or daughter of God, and you have direct access to God. You can talk to God directly. You don't have to go through anybody else. Sometimes people will say to me, I, I really need you to pray for me. And I'll say, has anyone prayed for you yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. Five people have already prayed. But I need you to pray for me. And I think, you don't need me to pray for you. You need prayer. <laughs> I don't believe in a title. I believe in prayer. So uh, a couple weeks ago, our MC kids, uh, last week, were about to graduate, and I wasn't going to be able to be part of the graduation. So I came by the church just to say hi to everybody, congratulate them on all their effort and what they had done and what they had gone through. Our Master's Commission students that were, some were, you know, being ordained, licensed, different things. So I just came to greet them and tell them how proud I was of them and all that. So I was talking to them, encouraging them, and, and uh, the, our meeting was over. I was about to leave, and one of the kids raised their hand in the back and said, Hey, um, can I ask something? Sure. She said, would it be okay if we prayed for you? I said, I would love for you to pray for me. What I didn't say is, did you pass your ordination exam? You got all your homework turned in? Wait a minute, some of you aren't even licensed yet. I need, I need you to hold back if you're not licensed. What I said is, I would be so honored if you'd pray for me because I believe in prayer. And that's what this idea is. You, are, you have direct access to God. You are a royal priesthood. You have the highest position in the kingdom. And you have the greatest access. So what should you do with it? What should you do with it? And this wraps the whole thing up. Remember, these churches are scattered all over Asia Minor. They're having a minority experience earthly. They're having a minority experience heavenly. They are alone. They are small. They're just a very, we call them a small group. And, and what's, what's being said here is, what do we do? What do we do? People don't like us. People don't like us because we're different. We won't worship their gods. We won't lie. We won't cheat. We won't steal. We won't do the things that they do. So, so what do we do? What do we do with this position? And what do we do with this access? Here it is. Peter's saying to them, take the authority that I've given you and take the access that I've given you 
and be faithfully present in the world. Don't run and hide. Don't go to all Christian concerts and listen to Christian music. And, and don't isolate yourself in a bubble or subculture from the culture. Be in the culture, but not of it. Faithfully engage. Don't hide your Christianity. Don't be ashamed of your Christianity. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be ashamed that you have a relationship with Jesus. Don't be ashamed that you pray. The only way you can be who you are in the world is to know who you are in God. That's your why. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to drive people away because you're weird. But you can be present. Faithfully humbly, authentically present. You belong to God. You're a royal priesthood. So this morning, as we end, this is kind of 101. It's the intro into 1 Peter. This is going to be such a good study. I, I, boy, I want you to be part of it because this question that we've asked this morning really lingers through the whole, the whole summer. But this morning, as we close, what I wanted to do is I wanted us to just have a moment of prayer and worship together. Because what I want to ask you to do this morning is I want to ask you to put your eyes on Jesus. See, here, here's the thing. The thing is we walk around like this most of the time now, right? I don't know what's going to happen when we're older. We're going to have neck surgery all the time because our necks are bent down looking like this. We're staring into this screen as if there is life or meaning or success or significance in it. There's nothing significant in this screen. When the Bible tells us don't look down, the Bible tells us look up. Your salvation draws near. If you want to know where inspiration is, don't look down, look up. And so this morning what I want to ask you to do, we're going to just stand with me, we're going to sing this song. When we sing this song today, I just want you to look up. I want you to look up on Jesus because he's your why. He's your why. He's why you do what you do. He's why you say what you say. He's given you all the why that you need. So this morning, just lift your hands and say, Lord, I worship you today. God, I worship you and I praise you. And I seek my identity in you this morning. I want to be centered in you.
for those who are struggling in their identity with you God for those who've been wounded for those who've been hurt for those who struggle trusting you Lord for those who've centered their identity in something else in our culture and success and materialism in, in hurt in sickness Lord maybe in their present struggle they've centered somehow their identity in those things God I pray today that they would receive from you new life and new identity and, and an encouragement that you can be trusted and that you are faithful. And Lord, today I pray that you administer strength and grace. This is the true grace of God. Stand in it. Lord, we receive those words today for our soul and we'll believe that by your spirit you minister those things to our heart and mind today. In Jesus' name. Jesus name everybody said amen hey God bless you glad you were here today